Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning with us, first of all, what took you so long? Hit that subscribe button. The number one value investing podcast in the world with the number one value investing uh, podcast audience in the world. That part is true. That is I'll very take, true. I'll allow the second one. Yeah. That is very <laughs> true. We hope everyone is having a great week. In today's podcast, we are going to be going over some stocks that Jeff has written up on Focus Compounding, and we are going to talk about them, see where they're currently trading. So the other day on the podcast when we were doing a QA, and a I told Jeff this after the fact because I thought it was funny, um, somebody had asked whether our strategy is less favorable because of the, I think his words, the Fed's willingness to basically prop up the market with mm -hmm. liquidity. And it was so funny because I feel like 99% of the people would be like, yeah, you know, you know, it kind of sucks, blah, blah, blah. And Jeff's like, oh, no, actually, it's great because our stocks haven't bounced back as much as the market has. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more opportunity. So I thought that was a great answer. And yeah. you believe it. Uh, yeah, that's, me, that's not just us lying no, about I believe it, that. Know? I was to, uh, talking to someone and they feel the opposite way, but I I do. Yeah. No, when I get depressed is when I can't find stocks because they're going up too much in price. The things we'd be interested in, I I I get cheerful when uh, there are prices that we might like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we are going to be using QuickFS. If you want to use QuickFS at quickfs.net, make sure you tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. Uh, Jeff and I use this every single day. It's great to pull financials, to pull historicals. Um, we love the website. So it's quick and it's financial statements, hence the name QuickFS. So the first one we'll be going over is BAB, which we talked a little bit about in a recent podcast. Uh, Big Apple Babel, Bagel is what they own. Mm -hmm. um, this was a company that I did some scuttlebutt on. It's got a $3 million market cap, right. if you can believe that. Uh, they franchise and um, license bagel and muffin retail units under the BAB and My Favorite Muffin, which is MFM. Um, they're in where Illinois, Michigan, sort of mm -hmm. that area. Yep. I uh, think almost like a Panera Bread, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Einstein bagels. Uh, current Pete's trading nine times earnings. Revenue's gone from three million in 2010 to three million in 2019. Negative Kager of zero point three. Um, uh, let's see. Ten-year median margins on EBIT twenty-five percent. Ten-year median margins on free cash flow seventeen point six percent. So that's pretty good. And it's yeah. currently trading at an EV to free cash flow of six times. Mm -hmm. So um, it is very cheap. Yeah. So like return on capital and stuff doesn't really matter here because it's not growing and it's not likely to grow. Um, we, you know, you did some scuttlebutt on it. I just don't think they're likely to expand their franchises over time. The big issue here, I would say, is that there's a uh, poison pill. And so because there's a poison pill um, that I, I don't know if I'd. Do we ever describe what a poison pill is? No, let's podcast? go over it. No. Let's go over it. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so there's a threshold over which with this company, uh, if you bought a certain percentage of the stock, you would end up being diluted effectively, your ownership percentage. So you wouldn't do it. So for that reason, there's effectively a limit to how much people can buy. Now, it's not technically a hard limit, but no one would ever trip it. So it's effectively the same as if the company just banned anyone owning more than a certain percentage of the stock. Mm -hmm. So uh, common levels that they put poison pills on are like 15 or 20% or something. So anyway, because of that, and we just read the market cap, if you have a poison pill that's 20% of the company and the market cap's 3 million, then no one can put more than $600,000 into this company. And you were telling me a story about 
uh, that you know of where yes. somebody purposely tripped it. Tripped it <laughs> Can you yeah. tell them that? Yes. Someone purposely tripped a poison pill and then they told them that that's crazy and those sorts of things. I think, oh, that, you, you want to see crazy? I'll show you crazy. Right. <laughs> and actually that raised a question because we were talking about something about that where I said the interesting thing is the poison pill, it's like uh, where Hank Paulson was talking about uh, that you need an unlimited bazooka because then people will believe that you would uh, then you won't need to use it. The one odd thing about poison pill is that historically they haven't been very well tested in terms of actually implementing the method that's used. So weirdly, like the way that it would be used is to dilute you by issuing tons of what are like rights that would turn into more stock to everyone else. So they give all the other shareholders besides you a ton of rights, which then cause a massive dilution. So if there were 100 million shares outstanding, it could go to a billion shares outstanding. And then, but so you'd have still on the same number of shares, but it would be a much smaller percentage. So you effectively would lose lots of money from this and everyone else wouldn't. But of course, many companies that adopt a poison pill have no idea how they would actually go about doing this, don't want to do this, nothing. And so are just counting on the fact that no one would ever do it. No one would ever trip it. So I really don't know in case where someone would trip it, I would guess the company would say, please go back below it otherwise (laughs) because we don't want to have to do this yeah you know but i think that's effectively what would really happen but of course so because of this investors institutions stuff know not to go over the limit right so yeah but in that situation he purposely did it because it was a micro cap and he may have been crazy and things like that yeah (laughs) and it's not it's not like everybody gets diluted Mm. you specifically get diluted correct so like your money just lighting it on fire that's exactly like boom zero i know and i think that he was crazy it, I mean, it could have been that he was trying to draw attention to it, but I think it was crazy. Oh, he drew attention to it, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, because of for, for that reason, though, so no one can buy it up and then redirect the cash flows, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fairly well compensated management, th- though not insanely well compensated compared to like the, the earnings of it and stuff, but fairly well compensated so that I would guess if it was a private company in someone else's hands and stuff, it would be worth a lot more. I said that in the, in the um, mm-hmm. write-up. So if there wasn't a poison pill, th- there's a reason why there's a poison pill. Um, I, I suspect that without a poison pill, some people would raid the company mm-hmm. and that it would make sense to raid it, Yeah, mm-hmm. to be honest. When I was doing Scuttlebutt and talking to some of the franchisees, they were telling me, um, they were complaining a little bit about management. They're like, and you can't sue them because they're all lawyers, is what he said. That, that's true. Actually. <laughs> and their general counsel or something, is it seems to be as important and as well paid as the CEO and stuff. Well paid, yeah. Yeah, and they've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I got the impression, I don't know what you got from your scope, but I got the impression the general counsel was as important to the company as, mm-hmm. as the head of the actual uh, the CEO. Yeah, and pretty much when you have every single one of the franchisees, the people with the boots on on the ground tell you that competition is fierce with, you know, Panera Bread, Dunkin' Donuts, mm-hmm. um, you know, Einstein Bagel. That's yeah. something that we were worried about. I mean, because if you look at, I mean, it's mm-hmm. not that different from starting your own like Duncan or anything like. No, that. this could be a great stock. This could be a great stock. It could work out great, great value stock, great like magic formula type stock or whatever. I don't know what the technically what the returns on capital are. Can you see it? Uh, it says fourteen point four return of capital twenty point five. Okay. Um, but. If for me, it's not what I invest in. I don't invest in retail and restaurant concepts where there's a lot of competition. Everyone who listens to the podcast probably knows my biggest fear is competition. Uh, you know that that's always the thing that worries me the most, and competition that can happen quickly and stuff. From that, I've been to some of the concepts that compete with them now. You know the Paneras and the Einstein Bagels, and I went when you were doing your scuttlebutt every day to Einstein Brothers testing out the different ones in the Plano area to see how oh, they were and everything. Yeah, and ordered a different thing and stuff and had the me. coffee just like you were saying. Mm. Yeah, well, mine was hard. It was harder for me to eat there than you. 
Oh, yeah, Jeff's on the all meat diet. <laughs> Which right. is not easy at a bagel place. Yeah, that's <laughs> true, actually. What do you get, like, salmon and lox? I'd order like, the, and then the eat salmon. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but tested the coffee and stuff yeah. and all that. So, yeah, I was worried about those competitors. Mm-hmm. I just am very worried from the competition perspective that customers might prefer these other chains mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, you actually wrote an article in the past called um, something about, like, safe free cash flow yields, and it said you titled Go Where the Competition Isn't. Yes, How absolutely. How free cash flow is, the yield is, you know, Absolutely. Safe. This is the biggest difference when people bring me ideas and I'm worried about it. It's competition. It's not like obsolescence or something. Most people are scared, like, the company's, no one will want it or something. Like, obviously, people are always going to want bagels and muffins and things like that. But the problem is, can other people make it just as well as you can or better? And if they can, like, do they have a system that's growing and whatever? So mm-hmm. that was my concerns. Mo- but, you know, f- this is not a terrible franchise in terms of, like, there are much, much worse franchise systems and stuff. What's left of it, the franchises that are left, are not all losing money and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's pretty stable that way. Well, I mean, if the thing is, right, if you could, they do have a poison pill, so it's not like you could do much, right? But if you could take a large position or a control position or whatever you want to call it and redirect the free cash flow into other businesses that could be you know kind of interesting oh no it would be a great platform for someone else but you can't because of the poison pill yeah Yeah. no absolutely because if you look do you have the free cash flow there yeah i'm looking at it right here somewhere so it's free cash flow per share i guess i could pull okay pull that yeah pull the cash flow statement a free cash flow per share is fine that'll work okay um okay free cash flow per share okay Mm. what's it been in recent years uh, six cents, six cents, seven cents, seven cents. Okay, there we go. It's kind of range. All right, all so around. there you yeah. go. So that's very stable right now. Look at the stock price. What was it, like 40-something cents? 49 cents. Okay, so so 50 cents. So you have over 10% uh, cash flow yield. So obviously, if you get it as a dividend stuff, you have to have pay on that. But what I'm saying is this company isn't carrying debt on it. It wouldn't be that weird for a company to carry up to three times debt to EBITDA. Mm-hmm. They had a little bit of net cash. Um, so actually... Um, like if someone actually controlled the company or something, it would be very easy for them to allocate a large amount to some other business if they knew it and right. stuff. So it, I, I'm not saying that would work out or something, but I am saying if there wasn't a poison pill here, it's so small and so attractive as a cash flow thing, that's why there's a poison pill. Someone would go after it. Yeah. Some hedge fund and something would go after it or someone would. I wonder if they've had... Um, like when they implemented the poison bill, because they could do it basically whenever they, they redo want. it every few years. So they did it uh-huh. initially, and then they keep redoing it. They had they've never made it like a permanent poison pill. I'm not sure why not. You want to go over DVD? Sure. All right, DVD. Those old floppy disks. This things. also has a poison pill. Dover Motorsports. <laughs> this is gonna be the poison pill episode. Yeah, right. That's this good, this one's weird. Episode on, pill, on poison pills. Though. This one's even stranger. Uh huh. I don't remember the last time I've seen this company has a poison pill. And has cl- two dual classes of stock. Yeah. So, for instance, we're invested in a stock. Uh, accounts we manager invested in a stock, NACA, which has two shares of uh, stock, two classes of stock. Yeah. So one person now basically owns enough of the class B shares to vote to outvote the class A and stuff. So although he doesn't have the biggest economic interest or whatever, he still controls the company no matter what, mm-hmm. right? And and for a longer time, like family as a wider sense, descendants of the same people have had that. Okay, mm-hmm. as a group. So, um, carry the description. Dover Motorsports okay. markets and promotes motorsports entertainment in the United States. It owns and operates Dover International Speedway in Dover, Delaware, and Nashville Speedway near Nashville, Tennessee. The company was formerly known as Dover Downs Entertainment Inc. Dover Motorsports Inc. was founded in 1969 and is based in Dover, Delaware. Okay, so they have those two classes of stock, and they have one person, uh, chairman. He's 90 some years old. Uh, who has enough stock to outvote everyone. Mm-hmm. And yet they also have a poison pill, which is fascinating. 
why do you need the poison pill? I don't know. Do you not need it? Are they paranoid about it? Or is there some purpose for that? I didn't understand it. But So they have two takeover defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, revenue was $55 million in 2010. And in 2019, it was $46 million. Um, 10-year median returns, return on equity, about 8%. Return on invested capital, 6.5%. Uh, EV to sales, one2 And it's currently trading um or it has a, a 14.5 percent 10-year media margin for ebit yeah the more you sell so, yeah. interesting right in our wheelhouse ebit free cash flow seven uh per, or, yeah seven times so and right. actually there was news on this company recently that yeah. they are going to host uh some nascar cup in nashville yes yeah, so that was a big deal and that changes everything about the stock and yeah. when i was writing it up that had just been announced so Historically, the company had this thing which it hadn't run for 10 years. I mean, like the place is completely abandoned for 10 years um, down in Nashville. Now, when they say Nashville, it's about 40 minutes outside of Nashville or something, but it's not a terrible area or whatever. And um, it's accessible. For, for, they built all the infrastructure that would be needed to bring people in for the race. It just never happened. And um, they own about 1,000 acres there, but they're not going to obviously tear it down, sell it and stuff now because they're going to host a race there. But that race is coming from Dover, mm-hmm. which had previously hosted two races. So the company as a whole is only going to host the same number of races, yeah. and now they're going to split it between two locations. That doesn't necessarily sound good. Of course, it's great if they ever pick up another race, but I don't know that that'll ever happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, this is a very odd company in that almost all of its free cash flow and stuff comes from two races. Um, two NASCAR events. There's it's weekends where they host other races that are like um, uh, lesser events. But basically, the two NASCAR Cup races are the important one, and um, those make them all their money. They also hold like a concert there, a music festival. But other than that, it's all from those two things. So when do you ever see a company which basically on two days makes all of its free cash for the whole year? Never. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Which so, is why it's interesting, right? Yeah. I actually bought Jeff and myself both uh, a book on the history of NASCAR because the only the only we're not NASCAR aficionados. The only guys, that, the only thing I know about NASCAR is what I saw in Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell, and I don't know if that's an accurate yeah. representation of what NASCAR is. I know your only uh, image of the Amish now is Witness, because I. Uh, that is true. We did see a, a horse and buggy, and you we were like, driving Pennsylvania. You felt like you didn't know enough about the Amish, so I said, "Well, there's I a was movie." Amazed, and you're like, "Have you seen Witness?" And with um, Ford, Harrison yeah. Ford, yeah. and I watched that. Last uh, night, it was good. I mean, you said, though, do I want to watch like the Amish Mafia or something like that? I said, I, I, I wanted to give you, I don't know if it's accurate about the Amish, but quality entertainment yeah. as opposed to like reality TV nonsense about the Amish. Yeah. So I, the a witness was like, I, it was nominated for like best screenplay or something. It, it, it was considered a good movie at the time. It was a good time. movie. Yeah. 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 It was, I did, there was something funny, but maybe, <laughs> we're not going to talk, yeah, about, it. talk okay. about it. Okay. <laughs> I was okay fine I'll talk about it the lead actress in the movie Rachel or whatever yeah she's very beautiful in the movie and then I just was like hmm, I wonder what she looks like and you forgot the it. the movie was made 35 years ago yeah and I was uh, yeah let's just I'll just leave it at that I was like oh wow 35 years makes a big difference <laughs> yep. anyways um, Dover Motorsports so yes obviously that's very interesting they just had that news so it's been a dead stock over the past like 10 years right 10 to 15 years for value investors. right the, the stock absolutely has been I think the business what interests me in is it looks like the business has gotten better over the last 10 years the company yeah. while the stock has declined a lot but NASCAR has gotten worse over those 10 years and that's the problem NASCAR is at about a 20 year low in terms mm-hmm. of ratings and stuff and that's the really big problem what we talked about you know that's hard. Yeah, I mean, if you look at in 2009, they had 43 million in debt, and now they're debt free. 
Yep. So they've paid down debt. Which makes know. them much cheaper than they appear to be. Mm-hmm. Because people keep looking at the market cap and stuff and not realizing the EV has declined much, much more. And it's the EV that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in terms of the free cash flow, you can see how much free cash flow they've built up over time. But the big thing is, what are they going to do? Why are they splitting between the two locations, right? So if they decided to, if they lost one of the races for some reason, which I'd be curious for people who know about NASCAR to tell me, I had trouble finding a case where a promoter had lost a race for reasons that I didn't think were totally legitimate. Um, So like just NASCAR decided to take it away from them. Um, but there are cases where a location has lost a race, certainly, and that'll happen this time. They're moving one from Dover to, to Nashville. That's why I wonder why they're doing that. Is it just to get more use of that park? Because even in an article, they're like one person. They've employed one person for the past ten years just to sit out there in the park all day. And it was watch always it. speculative that they wanted that. This is a or really interesting company there. because basically its whole history. So it also had a cas- uh, casino, harness racing track, and stuff because the com- Dover race, Dover Downs Gaming was also part of this. They were the same thing at one time. Dover Downs was spun off or this was spun off whichever way and then dover downs that was bought by something bigger if you go to the dover location uh you'll see there's a harness racing track uh it's it's a horse racing track in it and um there's like gambling there so that was the original purpose of it but um anyway the the thing is the bad performance of this as a stock and stuff is largely because of all the other tracks, not Dover. So they own several tracks out uh, in kind of central part of the country, Midwest, maybe you could call it. And those never got NASCAR races and Nashville had never gotten a NASCAR race for 10 years. It was sitting there. I mean, that track was built like what, 20 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, like a very long time ago and never got a NASCAR race. Whereas Dover's been getting them for about 50 years. So it shows you the difference. So everything that they've made over time and stuff is all from Dover. And so as they gradually sold off everything else, that was a drag. It's a very unusual business that way. You don't normally have like four properties or something over time. One of them makes money, three of them lose money and you hold on to them for a really long time, but they're Mm -hmm. still holding on to Nashville. They're doubling down on it. So we'll see. Yeah. That's going to be an interesting one to follow. But again, no one can take it over. A very, very low market cap compared to what like NASCAR things have gone for historically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We could go over one more. Otis. Otis. Okay. O-T-I-S. I did Otis and Carrier are sort of the same breakup. So... Maybe this is not a good one to go. Oh, over. they're both spinoffs. I mean, we can talk about them, yeah. but they're not. They won't be good to look at yeah, quick at fast. No, uh, Do you no, want to talk uh, about them? Historical information. Sure. Okay. So Otis and Carrier are names that people should recognize. Carrier in air conditioning and stuff is probably where you recognize it, though they also do refrigerated trucks and things and stuff that are less visible to you. And then um, Otis is, well, I guess it's basically the leading elevator. I mean, it's it's basically an oligopoly around the world, so there's no real I always leader. look when I'm in an elevator. Uh, Otis is, uh, you know, um, been big in elevators forever, and uh, it's a spinoff from United Technologies. United Technologies is broken up, but there was an acquisition. It was breakup slash acquisition kind of thing, and they had Carrier and Otis. The problem is I like Otis as a business a lot. I like Carrier less as a business. Carrier spun off cheap, Otis spun off expensive. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I do the write up. I mean, I don't do the actual write up, but I do all the research, writing it down, um, without looking at the stock price yeah. for a spit off. So, I really honestly do not know. I could look and it's going to say twenty dollars. It could say sixty. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know people don't that you. That's hard to believe that you could be that different. But on smaller spinoffs, it can be. There's times where I find a stock. And I mean, like, that's kind of what happened with NACO and stuff is I looked at it. What do I think the value is and stuff? Then check the stock price after the spinoff. And I'm like, wow, that's very different than what I expected. Mm -hmm. So um, Carrier was less than I expected. But I didn't like Carrier as a business as much as I had hoped before reading it. Now, why is that? 
Would you like more about Otis than Carrier? Oh, I like Otis a lot. So Otis's money is basically all made off its port maintenance on the portfolio yeah. of elevators that it has around the world. And so that's an installed base that it has. And then people get these management contracts. And in certain countries like the United States and stuff, they what happens is that a property owner, you know, like say you live in a um, high-rise apartment building or whatever, they sign a deal for all of their... Um, elevators in that building sometimes but also all around and stuff sometimes it's a broader one than that and they want to make sure as part of the value of their property and stuff that the elevator isn't down and things like that you know and also safety things mm -hmm. too but um and in the u.s it's really good because the u.s elevators are generally in high-rise commercial type things some other countries the elevators are often in shabbier apartment things where they don't care as much the owners so like you know an elevator in an office building they're very concerned about uh um not having any downtime and things like that so it's a root density kind of thing you just have a technician go out and do the work on it and they were talking about the technology things and i really believe them about like just by giving all the technician stuff to have on their iPhones and stuff, they'll be able to cut down the times, reroute them and stuff. I've seen it in other things. I mentioned pest control. I mentioned armored cars, uh, laundry businesses where they do linens. In all of these, I've been impressed by the the importance that te technology has on improving the efficiency of each employee that you have there. And I did a bunch of math on like how much they make per employee and per whatever in each country and stuff. And I just think there's a lot of opportunity for for growing their earnings per share faster than they grow their sales mm -hmm. organically and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all from just the portfolio of the the um, maintenance contracts they already have in place. So I really don't care about like the the new build of it and all that and how much are people going to have elevators in the future and all those sorts of things. It really is to me all about a repair business that they have. And I think it's really good. And I think Otis, and I think they're focused on the right things. They were saying the right things about what they're going to do. So I really believe them that through a combination of financial engineering and actually improving operations, they could increase earnings per share meaningfully to look kind of almost growth stock like in earnings per share while actually the organic growth in like elevators and things is really low so i just thought there was leverage mm -hmm. it looks like it was spun off what in the 50 area okay and it's at 55 okay i think in your write-up you had a price that you'd be you'd like to revisit 20 to 30 dollars yeah it was like a lot less area yeah uh-huh how did you get a good feel for management like with capital allocation stuff like I, that. It was just what their plan they said they were going to do. Yeah. That was really nothing else other than that. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. We did use QuickFS, and if you'd like to sign up, go to quickfs.net. We use this every single day, all day, whenever we're researching stocks. Um, and make sure you tell them that you came for Focus Compounding. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, hit the subscribe button as well. And our rating and review goes a very long way. Hope you are liking the content that we are bringing you five times a week, having a lot of fun doing it. And that's because you are the number one value investing audience yes, they are. in the world. And we're definitely very appreciative of all of the support. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast.